Hey everybody, we've got an exciting special episode here, a very special episode of Talk Told to Me. That's right. Normally, we are just Omen Said and Nick McGill. However, in this episode, we have achieved the crossover event of the decade. The Flash on the CW has got nothing on us. <laughs> That's right. We were invited very graciously by the gentlemen from Vernacular Verbose. And oh, how gentle they were. They were gentle, loving. They they were selfless. Tender. Tender. They listened. Supple. They cared. <laughs> they showed they cared. They provided beverages. They made us feel <laughs> like a real podcaster. They, I... Anyway, here's that conversation. It's a nice chat about how we all got into Jethro Tull, how we all got into podcasting about Jethro Tull, and some some fun trivia to wrap it up with. And alternatively, if you would like to see the video of us speaking to one another, you can do that. Check out the link in the show notes. There will be a link to their YouTube and to our YouTube. Go wherever you will. Or you can just listen to us in the car. All the tubes of you. P- pull them both up at the exact same time and then hit play at the exact same time. Go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoy. As much as we did. Welcome to Vernacular Verbose, the Jethro Tull podcast. Today is a very special day for us. This is bonus episode number one, and we have a very special guest, the Feckless Momes, with us today. The Feckless Momes are an American audio network consisting of Nick McGill and Omen Sade. Their podcast, Talk Tull to Me, was the world's first Jethro Tull podcast and has been publishing episodes weekly since 2019. You can follow them on Instagram and all major podcast platforms. Just want to note really quick that if you're listening to this episode through audio, through the podcast platforms, there's actually a video video edition of this episode also that you can watch on our YouTube if you'd like. Just look up Vernacular Verbose Jethro Tull Podcast on YouTube, and you can see all of our beautiful faces in squares throughout the whole episode. But enough of that. I want to welcome our two guests today, Nick McGill and Omen Say the Feckless Moms. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Nick McGill, yeah, not a problem. Thank you for uh, for having us. We're so excited to, to be here. This is really, you know, um, a, a fun kind of roads coming together uh and and also just a marvel of technology we are we are broadcasting from the four corners of the earth almost almost <laughs> literally yeah we're all in three different time zones yeah nick is up in um upstate new york i'm down in the the swamp lands of florida in the americas and you two are of course almost at the the antipodes of each other basically yeah yeah, with me in Japan and Eugene in Ukraine, it's a very global operation that we're running here. Yeah, we're Omen and I are fortunate to share the same time zone, so it's scheduling for us is a little bit easier. But I imagine for you guys, pinning down times and 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 recording and editing and and whatnot, it's it's a challenge. And that's the that's the even for us, that's the greatest challenge is figuring out times to to get stuff done. Yeah, it's not too bad for us. We have kind of one time that just happens to work best for both of oh, us. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, only one option. Kind of hearing. Yeah. So this this is very much like, you know, the, the crossover of the, of Tull Podcast. And, of course, we want to say that we have a lot of respect for what you guys did as kind of the trailblazers of the Tall Podcast realm. And, you know, I mean, we're really excited just in general, of course, about the idea of being able to bring kind of the Tull fan community or fandom or whatever you want to call it. Uh, into kind of, I guess, a more modern form of communication with podcasts, things like that. 
So uh, we're really excited about the interplay, and we're really happy that you guys are you know, willing to kind of discuss that with us and uh, be part of that with us in kind of, even if we're in separate, you know, uh, you know, forms of media. Yeah, it's it's such a such a pleasure to join you all. And you know, one thing that we keep that we always say on on uh, Talk Tall to Me is is that Nick and I are not tall experts. We never have claimed to be. And what what has sort of developed out of uh, out of our experience is is realizing that that we've we've sort of ended up finding a like a forum of of tall yeah. um enthusiasts and and I feel like this is just such a an exciting and natural extension of that so it's it's lovely to be here yeah there's we've learned over the the 3 years that we've been doing it that everybody has Everybody has their own experience with Tall. Everybody has their own interpretation. Everybody has a different Steve Wilson remix remaster yeah, with yeah. different snippets of information. <laughs> yeah, so there's absolutely. a 40th, a 50th, whatever. So everybody is sharing the booklet or or their first concert or whatever. So it's it's a coming together. And I'm I'm sure there's there's a lot with other bands that do this, but Tall is is just so so mythic. And it's yeah. just so satisfying to get everybody to, to talk about it and, and share what they know in their own terms. We've learned how little we know about Jethro Tull. Yeah. yeah There's much we're to the, know. There is. And we just kind of conglomerate it all at this point. So remind us, um, which album... You, so you, you go album by album, whereas we've yeah, been going right. song by song. So remind me, where are uh, you with vernacular verbose um right now what's sort of you know what do you what did you just release we have just released heavy horses uh, but we've already recorded a oh okay yeah and at the, at the time that this episode comes out we're probably going to be you know a little past a or kind of probably. beginning the 80s mm-hmm. okay what happened to stormwatch stormwatch is coming next week as we're recording oh, okay this. oh, oh okay. gotcha 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 um we just we just wrapped up the bonus tracks of Heavy Horses. There were... One more. We got one more. We're almost wrapping <laughs> so up close. bonus tracks of Heavy Horses. <laughs> there are approximately one million of them. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and then and we're going to take... Bonus tracks are loosey-goosey anyway, so... Right. And then we're going to take a dip it, into the cold, cold waters of songs from the north. Yeah. No. <laughs> false. False. We, we lumped those together, remember? We lumped Heavy Horses and, and songs from the north. Now we're going into Stormwatch. Nick, I remember nothing. You know this about me. <laughs> I'm the one in charge of the schedule, so yeah. 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 So <laughs> I, we're, I just we, show up. We've, we've got one episode left to record of the bonus tracks of Heavy Horses slash Songs from the North, all of which falls on different bonus uh, albums throughout the years. Right. Uh, but we lumped them into Heavy Horses, and then we're getting into Stormwatch. Still still cold waters, though, Omen, so it's fine. It's really exactly. impressive to me how you guys, you know, I mean, you, you do each song. Per episode and just to be able to spend yeah. you know 45 minutes to an hour just ruminating on one song that's really impressive so can you guys tell me a little bit about kind of how you guys approach approach that you know what exactly do you look for in the song is it is it mostly musical is it mostly lyrical is it kind of both how do you approach doing that well we you know it took us um some number of episodes to kind of find our format but what we yeah. have arrived at is um, talking about the song first in terms of music, and often we'll talk about our, you know, if if it's a newer song for us, what our first impressions are. If it's a song that's familiar to us, sort of maybe what our history with that song is, because that's mm-hmm. that's a lot of of what our um, approach to our podcast is. Because Nick and I have known each other since we were 
15 years old, which was um, an undisclosed number of years ago. And um, so, th- so then we, so then we talk about the, you know, we talk about our relationship to the song. We talk about the music, uh, which, which we will admit we are not super uh, prepared for or qualified for, because neither of us, <laughs> unlike unlike you both, neither of us are musicians. Um, right. You know, I think that we have just enough music vocabulary to to get into trouble. Um, and then we switch to to the lyrics, and I think that that's really probably where our strength lies uh partially because you know we come from a a theater background we met as actors and so both of us have you know studied a fair amount of like text analysis especially from Mm -hmm. from like studying shakespeare so that's i mean that's for me the really fun part of discussing the songs is really breaking down the text unraveling the metaphors trying to get into anderson's uh head um, yeah. And then trying to get out of his head before <laughs> before the the doom gates close and we're stuck there forever. Yeah, that's that's the most fun, challenging part for me is is trying to put it into context of where Ian was in his life, where it falls in terms of recording and and band members and and what's going on for all of them and the the context of the album the album as a whole. Um, that that's that's the most fun for me. But yeah, it's that's our strength is that that kind of tearing it down. We also mm-hmm. try to pull in when we can any anything that any of the band members have said about specific songs. We don't sure, always yeah. get super lucky, but um, I feel like recently we found a number of um, of little tidbits about about the song. You know, actually from from the mouths of Ian Anderson or, or some of the other bandmates. And recently, our um, some of our more uh, Epicurean fans have have been. Feeding us information about the songs, <laughs> sometimes some mostly after the fact, uh, where they say, "I can't believe you didn't talk about this," but yeah, sometimes right. they will preemptively give us little tidbits, which is mm-hmm. which is lovely, because we need all the help we can get. Yeah, yeah, I think we're in that sweet spot where there's so much that's been documented about whether what the band members have said or what Ian has said. So early on, it's it's kind of it's it, you kind of make assessments and judgments and try to put pieces together right now uh songs from the wood heavy horses that era there's there's a lot there's so much material that is is firsthand material from all sorts of people i think the further we get into maybe the 80s we're gonna it's gonna fall off again because the the mythos the excitement of of those albums are not as they're not as meaty so we'll, we'll be back to kind of kind of putting the pieces together on our own i think but but on the other hand as we go forward in time um there becomes uh, more digital media that was recorded at you know um concurrently with the with the release of the albums that's another fascinating thing for us is to track and i'm sure you do this album by album but to sort of track the evolution of the technology that they Mm -hmm. were playing on i mean that for me that's the study of a band that's been around for 50 years is almost a study of the late 20th century because technological innovation yeah well really yeah, yeah because of. you know you you start with them basically playing electric versions of acoustic instruments and then you know mm-hmm. and then you see the the arrival of mellotron and then the synthesizer and you know and then the and then and switching the to digital machine. recording the drum mm-hmm. machine absolutely so it's it's really exciting to see that, uh, and of course, you know th- that's also reflected in the lyrics. Ian is such a um, such uh, an observational writer. He really, he really is 
documenting the world around him in such an extraordinary way with his perspective, of course. But it, uh, it's almost for me like Charlie Chaplin. You know, you can learn so much about the early twenty, the early twentieth century through watching Charlie Chaplin films because he was so um, perceptive about sort of understanding what was around him and putting that onto in, into his art. I, I think that Ian became more of that. Uh, in the 80s, there's much more observation, there's, there's much more focus on the world around him, mm. beginning with A, it feels like, mm. because uh, mm. in in the 70s, there was more, more of fantasy rumination, there was more, uh, was probably more sto- story focused, not necessarily on the things that were surrounding him. Hmm. While, yeah, while it, it, it feels like there are more, more stories in in the songs from 1980 and forward yeah it's he he buries stuff in allegory and fairy tale it's still observational i think but it's it's way mm-hmm. more embedded where where you're right it does that kind of facade fades away and it's really mm-hmm. just kind of commentary at that point you know i'm thinking of of four-wheel drive and and <laughs> uh basically anything off of off of a or under wraps really yeah, I think it's kind of things like Toll's lyrics are one of those things that it it comes to kind of like a, a bigger, broader issue of why we love this band to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, it's not just that, you know, you know, it's a good lyrics or whatever, but something that we've talked about in our podcast sometimes is we can't believe that there was a rock band, a popular rock band at that time who were writing songs about things like the heavy horses of old Britain <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, like a, the minstrel in the gallery or whatever it is. And that's kind of the thing. I'd like to hear you guys kind of um, give your opinions on this as well Is just the reason that we're drawn to Tull. You know, I mean, there's many reasons, of course, but that's one of the reasons is that only somebody like Ian Anderson, who has kind of, you know, not just the showmanship, not just the musicianship, but also the intellect and the interest uh, to yeah. pursue subjects like that which you would never hear any other rock band doing that's that's one of the things that i think has always drawn us to them and i'd imagine it's probably similar for you guys as well yeah we talk about that fairly often and um that you know for us jethro tull is sort of the the music of the intellectual working peoples of the world (laughs) you know there's so many there's so many different entries into it you know it's it has such a there's such a theme of of the working life in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. There's such a theme of, you know, the day-to-day existence, but it is approached with such this incredible blistering intelligence that, you know, I think there's a reason that Jethro Tull wasn't as popular as, it hasn't been as popular as, like, Led Zeppelin, because anyone who has a pulse can appreciate the kind of raw sex drive of, of Led Zeppelin, even if it's high fantasy, like talking about Mount Doom, like there is, yeah. there's, there's cojones yeah. there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very, it's very <laughs> sex fighting survival. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it appeals to the, the baser human instincts. And I don't mean that in a derogative, in a derogatory way. It's, it's, it's amazing. I love Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Um, but Ian Anderson and, and Jethro Tull have some appeal to that side of things, but also I think, really as you've said you know bring these complex topics to rock and roll and i think that's what that's what kind of makes it for me um prague is it's really like it's a melding of sort of the intellectualism of of almost classical literature and classical music 
with the tools of rock and roll. There's a wonderful uh, interview. I don't know if you've heard it by the on the Rock on Tour podcast that came out recently, where um, these these two gentlemen interview Ian Anderson, and it's a fabulous interview. Um, I think it's one of the best Ian Anderson interviews I've ever heard. He's just, he, oh, yeah. I think, because they're musicians, he feels very comfortable talking to him. But uh, he describes his songwriting in terms of painting. And he says, you know, some people paint portraits and it's all about this is the person. This is, you know, their kind of um, their psychology and their their essence. Some people paint landscapes and it's all very far removed and very beautiful. And he says, you know, I, I sort of am in between. I like to paint figures in a landscape and it makes so much sense when you listen to his songs because you really you see the background you see the environment and then you see the figure in it and it's very contextual and and um i don't know there's something almost uh oh who is the dutchman who did all the painting (laughs) rembrandt rembrandt oh there it is there's something french (laughs) (laughs) it shows what i know maybe he was he was was still to the dutch I'm going to do something that we normally do on Feckless Moms and uh, do an analogy based on food. Um, yes. <laughs> Zeppelin is like a chocolate eclair. Like, it's a flavor bomb. It's it's one note. It's great when you experience it. Tull is a tiramisu. It's layered. It's delicate. There's depth. You get the further you go down, the more satisfying it is. But it's not too overbearing on the palate or the stomach. Okay, I'm gonna do but the savory version. But they're both enjoyable. The the what version? I'm I'm gonna do the savory version. Oh please. Okay, okay. Led Zeppelin is a um, a duck cracklin. Ooh, okay. I like it. You know, you, you eat it and it just explodes in your mouth, and it's just like blah, and all the all the duck fat just drips down you and makes you feel so dirty and so good at the same time. Uh, Jethro Tull is like a, a delicately saffroned risotto where there are, you know, there's the there's the wine element, there's the shallots, there's a little bit of fresh herbs, and you really have to, like, sit with it and meditate upon it to, to appreciate it. And if you eat it too fast, you know, what are you doing? You're not going to... Yeah. You're not going to get all the individual flavors. I thought you were going to go with a turducken there, the, the multiple layers of poultry <laughs> stuffed inside one another. <laughs> complex in, in a way i think it's one of those things that also like it makes it difficult to recommend toll to somebody just in the sense yeah. that it can be difficult sometimes to figure out what the you know the proper entry point is right yeah because there's so many different eras there's so many different styles uh and particularly for i mean you probably don't want to recommend thick as a brick or passion play to someone who's never heard the band before depending on the person so it can be kind of difficult to figure out the entry point that way that's a difficult question because I think it ultimately depends on the person that you're, that, yeah. that you're trying to introduce because Tull does have that wide array that you can kind of pull different pieces and, and say, like my wife does not like Tull at all, but there are one or two songs that she will listen to. So I, I need to know what songs I can introduce her to. At this point, she's, she's spoiled. She can't hear any Tull because I play it so much. But for for the the um, the unacquainted, yeah, you got to know their their tastes, and generally, mm-hmm. you could pull out one or two songs. I think one of the things that we um, have enjoyed discovering on on Talk Tall to Me is people have been writing into us and telling us their entry point to Tall. We call it their jump start, mm-hmm. um, and, and and. Uh, 
And there's a theme that kind of runs through it. it. Most often what it is is someone saying, hey, listen to this album. No explanation. No like, yeah. oh, you like this? I think you'll like this. Just somebody saying, mm-hmm. here's an album, listen to it. And I think and that's what happened to me. A friend of mine in, in high school was like, you know what? I'm going to give you this album. It was Aqualung. It was a burned, it was a, it was a burned CD of Aqualung. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There's there was no explanation, which is funny, you know. With some bands, you know, you could say like, "Oh, you like '70s glam rock? You love weedly guitar and like, you know, crazy high notes? You're gonna love the darkness." Or like, "Oh, you like folk rock? You're gonna love this." There's no, you can't do that with Tall. You just have to say, "Here, I know, I see you, I see in your soul <laughs> that there is something that you need from this music." Yeah. Yeah, there there are three entry points to Tull, I think, that are, that are most common. Someone just, like Omen said, someone handing you the disc. Mm-hmm. Um, an older brother or sister having listened to it and you inherit the album or you inherit the taste. Or I think more common in our generation is you find your parents' old cassettes or, or albums. That's how I got into Tull. I found the, the Lime Green War Child and Aqualung... Uh, thick as a brick and songs from the wood and of course i fell into songs from the wood very hard but yeah and totally. of course... this is a i told a similar story on our podcast but the way that i got into toll for the most part you know it was all through my parents and it never would have mm. happened if not for them and uh specifically my dad had a couple of old cassettes like from the 70s 80s that kind of thing that he would play mm. in the car and that that was pretty much how i got into it so uh, yeah. i think that's very true yeah my dad yeah. introduced me to toll as well uh, and we ha- we had uh, the Soviet issue of the original masters, with the oh, wow. with the cy- Cyrillic text on on the on the cover. So instead of Jethro oh. Tull, it said Dretrotal. Uh, oh my god! Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. You don't still and, have and, that, do yeah. You? And uh, my favorite song was "Bungle in the Jungle" because my English left much to be desired at that point yeah. but i could totally get behind i'm a tiger and i'm a snake right. yeah. <laughs> well i mean if you're if you're gonna learn english from a rock band jethro tull is is uh oh absolutely yeah, yeah. could be a great a great uh i mean that's one thing that i that's another thing that i enjoy so much about about tull and i know that nick does too we're both um we're both sluts for language. Can I say that on your podcast? We both really sure. enjoy language. Um, Word nerds, yeah. And and etymology. So, you know, mm-hmm. Ian's use of, I mean, just his vocabulary and his use of grammar and his uh, subtlety with turn of phrase is so appealing to us. Whereas the, the thing that we always rag on is, um, you know, if you learned English from Bon Jovi, you'd end up with a with a... <laughs> You'd end up with a fifth a fifth grade reading level. Yeah, <laughs> which you know what? No judgments. Hey, no. Judgments I love Bon Jovi. Fifth grade reading levels. A little judgment on Bon Jovi, but Listen. for the most part, it's okay. Whatever. It's okay. Whatever we can do with a little your steel horse. On bon Jovi. <laughs> I think Joey sometimes get an, gets annoyed by Ian's vocabulary choices. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was I was just thinking about that today actually because I, I was in the train and I was listening to something from Too Old to Rock and Roll came on my shuffle. And I remembered in our episode for Too Old to Rock and Roll, oh, this Quiz Kid is what I was listening to. And uh, on that album specifically, there's some times where I thought the vocabulary is a little too much, you know. Uh, but I mean, I, in general, I don't have a lot of complaints about Ian's. I think you didn't like uh, the use of the word cranium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's just some times where I just think, like, you know, did, did it really have to be that word? I mean, was there really no other way to put that? But 
I think that that's what's so fascinating about Tull is that you know that I keep coming back to that's you know it's a prog rock band it's it's yeah. rock and roll had been established and now people like Ian Anderson said all right this exists where can we push this what, you know, what yeah. are the outer limits of this and you know when you experiment and when you push toward limits you don't always discover something wonderful but you always yeah. discover something and so that's for me even even the songs where i'm like nah, i don't care for it i appreciate the the boldness of going into this you know sort of bizarre territory and and really really you know testing the limits of rock and roll because without mm-hmm. prog we could have just ended up with three power chords and a and a and a bunch of uh love songs which you know yeah. nothing wrong with and remember that um remember that too old was going to be a state theoretically was going to be a stage play and right, and yeah. we know ian's love for pageantry so mm. i have a feeling that that there is he he kind of upped it even more and of course he took rock and pushed it further what what stage play what stage musical would have the word cranium in it of course he's going to push that yeah, further yeah. too mm-hmm. that's that's my thought on 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 his verbosity so I feel like Sondheim. Okay, sorry, Eugene. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I think, well, one of the things that prog rock did was address topics that rock and roll never did before. Mm. And uh, But the thing about Tull is the the, the width, the, the, the breadth of the topics that Ian talked about. Because if you look yeah. at other prog bands, like uh, another brilliant lyricist, Peter Hamill, from uh, Van de Graaff Generator. Uh, he's a fantastic lyricist, but I think his main focus is sort of inner turmoil, mm. right? It's, uh, it's very... Uh, his lyrics are all incredibly introverted. Uh, sure. And if you look at Yes, it's just, I don't know, piles of feel-good philosophy loosely <laughs> fitted together. Uh, but... With Ian, it's like the the coolest thing is that you never know. You never know what what's the mm. next song is going going to be mm. about. Yes. Well, that's also the thing with Ian is he he says he is to this day he has stated that he there have only been like two maybe three songs that have been personal to him. Yeah. Everything mm-hmm. else is is he's writing that story. He does it damn well. Like he he embodies that character that narrator every single time. And he tells that story with with so much, so much explanation and so much evocation. But it's a story. That's all yes. it is. But he does it darn well. He's a bard, is what he is. I like that. I think that's a good. It, I think that's a good comparison. You know, um, comparisons have sometimes been drawn between the troubadours of medieval Europe mm-hmm. and yeah. modern rock and roll stars, and I think that they're. I, I think that's not a, a bad comparison necessarily. You know, they're advocates of love, and I think that comparing Ian to a bard is is uh, fantastic because it is more of that grand narrative, you know, oral tradition, um, something really of of intellectual value that's being communicated, and and almost mm-hmm. a keeper of ancient secrets. Yeah, only he can tell that tale. That's right. One thing I'd like to go back to. Um, Talking about the purpose behind a tall podcast and things like that, the way that we saw it, and I imagine you guys kind of feel the same, I'd like to hear about it, is that 
in the Toll fan community, and this is mostly the Toll online fan community because, of course, mm. that's where it's most active, there's yeah. very much kind of a generational shift or a generational gap there just because, of course, Toll is a fairly old band. And so, right. you know, much of the listenership, much of the fan base is around that age. And so for me, I mean, we kind of felt that there was an opportunity there that, you know, there's a much older Toll fan base, which is most of the fan base. But I mean, inevitably, there's also there's younger fans like us and things like that. And so kind of the goal of what we wanted to help do was we wanted to try to bridge any of those kind of generational gaps. We wanted to connect the entire Toll fan community in mm. different forms of media. And, you know, that's kind of what we see Honestly, I mean, kind of the goal of our whole podcast, in my mind, you know, it's not just to go through and analyze every album or talk about this or that, but we, we want to help in kind of this discourse between the different fans in the community. And that's why I'm really happy that you guys, uh, you know, were interested in coming on and talking to us, because to me, that's part of what this is all about, is it's connecting with you guys. Uh, we can connect uh, with, you know, older fans with fans who are even younger than us and we can help kind of really build out this community so it's much more connected and kind of much more uh, intimate, I suppose. I think it's fascinating and laudable that you all had a goal in mind when you started your podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that we had one. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I, it's safe to say that, that we, we knew going in that it would be niche. This was a this yes. was a passion project for us because it yeah. had been so long since Omen and I had created something uh, uh, on a on a creative level. We used to we used to do physical theater all the time, and and since yeah. life happened and we we moved into different areas, we didn't life have happened that so hard. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, did life happen? But but this gave us the opportunity, and this is the one like one of the few things that we could like really hammer on and know that there was no other. There's, there was nothing else like it out there, so we kind of jumped into it. Well, and, you know, another another aspect that I, I think we were a little bit inspired by is, you know, the experience of being a Tull fan. I think a lot of probably uh, our listeners, you know, to all of our listeners can relate to is when you like Jethro Tull, it is damn hard to find someone to talk to about it. Because yeah. there are, <laughs> you know, in any given group of people, there are not that many people who are really into Jethro Tull, but the people who are into Jethro, into Jethro Tull are really into Jethro Tull. So mm. Nick and I were lucky growing up that we met each other and could talk about these, about these songs. And I think that for a lot of people, their experience of, of loving Jethro Tull was kind of a, a, a solitudinous, if you will forgive the word choice, Joey, uh, experience. Um <laughs> And and so we part of what we wanted to do is to give an opportunity for people to, you know, to to talk tall or to hear us talk tall at least and feel that there was some kind of um, community there, uh, regardless of age. Yeah, we we were not terribly active. And by terribly, I mean, at all, we were not active at all in the in the online space with tall. We kind of just jumped in without even knowing much about what was already going on behind the scenes. Um, I, I don't do social media, and Omen doesn't do much social media, particularly I'm I'm still Facebook. not very active. I mostly just lie there. Yeah, he just takes pictures of him sleeping in bed. 
a lot of likes for what it's worth, but I mean, <laughs> there's but a lot of that, perverts out there, <laughs> sickos. But that being said, we we've kind of started dipping our toes in, and I think that's where you guys really took advantage of it. You were both active in there. That's where you met on that Facebook group, I believe. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you you have that that advantage, and I think that's that's really where your 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 overarching theme and 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 goal really becomes more more selfless like you guys are doing a, a selfless act in in trying to collect everybody into a a, a, a more unified tall experience whereas omen and i even if we had two listeners today and i was one of them we'd still be happy because we still yeah. have to do our podcast you know <laughs> that's right that's right but the first, now that we've we've created a, a something of a following, it is nice to to consider ourselves a part of that community. It is. I think that was that was sort of the most shocking um, thing. Uh, you know, some some number of episodes in, we we had a, a, a tracking program to you know show our to show our listenership and and. The sudden discovery that people were listening to our podcast was was a terrible shock to both of us. We were like, "Oh my god, <laughs> boy, we, we really got to make this this work now." Yeah, well, I think there may have not been too selfless a desire when <laughs> when we created the podcast. I think one of the things that was sort of the internal drivers of this was that we both like order. And mm. the an an online discussion is an incredibly chaotic thing. So sure. we sort of wanted a more orderly fashion in in a discussion, and a, you know, a dialogue is is where it's at. I was yeah. I was wondering uh, about another thing for kind of for the benefit of our respective listeners mm-hmm. uh, of both podcasts, and also because I know nothing about. Um, uh, you guys in this in this regard um we all four of us love tall but we also mm. like other kinds of music and i know that mm. uh, i know what joey likes right but mm. i i think we could bri- all briefly talk about what other things in music we like and we enjoy and kind of look at the uh, at this four dimensional starfish that <laughs> has intersects in jethro tall between the four of us Interesting. Yeah. Nick? So how about you guys? How about you, Omen? Um, I'll, I'll defer to Nick uh, on, on this for, for a moment. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so I've got a couple of go-tos that, that fortunately, my wife does not cringe at when I put them on regularly. So uh, I, I go to uh, Murder by Death, which is a, it's like a Johnny Cash-esque kind of r- rocky, bluesy, country uh they have a cello they have a rock cello the the cellist sarah is is amazing i i love murder by death if you have to get started on a single song by murder by death go to the song brother off their album in boca al lupo it's mind-blowing in mind-blowing um i go to carbon leaf regularly because they're they're a nice folk they're a nice easy folk that, that we can listen to um i like the decemberists who are mm. proggy folk rocky everybody likes the decemberists um, those those are kind of my standards. I'm sure I have a couple more, but if if I'm looking for an album to play and I don't want something new, it's it's usually that lineup. And if my wife's not here, it's tall. But other than that, it's it's one of those other guys. <clears throat> yeah. Um, 
for me, I oh goodness, you know, I so I, I said I'm not a musician, and, I, and that's true. But I have played music at various points in my life, and so I think that you know my exposure um, to music has been fairly broad. I, I grew up listening to a fair amount of classical music um, and playing some some baroque uh, pieces on the flute and and uh, I had a lot of exposure to to folk music from my from my parents especially from my dad and my brother who both uh, my dad uh, plays and builds guitars and my brother played wow. played the harp for many years so I got a wonderful musical exposure from them um, and for a long time my musical taste was pretty pretty firmly rooted in centuries past uh, and so over the last you know 10 or 20 years it's been you know uh, discovering rock and roll has been kind of amazing I think Jethro Tull is pretty much the first rock band that I really listened to and I was kind of like oh this is this is great what else is out there and I do love Led Zeppelin I don't listen to them much now um, I listen to I love bluegrass I listen to quite a lot of bluegrass and I, I used to play the mandolin so I played a fair amount of bluegrass music um, and you know in recent years in the last like 10 probably seven years i've gotten really into pop music i really you know i love Katy perry i love um <laughs> and uh you know all the all the modern pop stars some of the modern pop stars and then you know discovering living in new york uh some someone exposed me to the wu-tang clan and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing talking about language you know 90s 90s hip-hop is just such a such a rich palette of of the use of language and the use of uh you know the a different approach to storytelling so i i'm a little bit all over the place but um you know can't go wrong with katie perry can't go wrong with todrick hall i love it all i think joey will will agree with you on the 90s hip-hop won't you joey yeah i uh i mean i really listen to everything really uh, I guess my kind of weird quirk is that I don't really listen to much rock music at all. Hmm. Mm. Uh, I I kind of grew up like a lot of kids, kind of, I guess, my age from where I'm from, where I grew up as kind of an alternative rock kid, mm. where yeah. you know, my favorite bands growing up were like The Strokes and Blur, Gorillaz, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But as I got older, I kind of left rock behind, even though that's most of what my background is in and actually playing music. And the, the number one genre that I've listened to probably in the last several years since college or high school has been hip-hop. And uh, uh, hip-hop is a huge genre for me. I, I think, like, I don't know, objectively speaking, you know, 90s hip-hop is kind of, you know, the, the peak of the genre. But Gold, I actually listen to age. modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I actually listen to modern trap stuff, too, which I know a lot of people find that unbelievable that you can enjoy both of those things simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I really, I mean, I love, I really have a big love of jazz also. I oh, yes. Love, um, I love really early jazz, like 20s, 30s, New Orleans, Dixieland. Yeah, type stuff. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I really, I really listen to mostly everything, but uh, not, not so much rock. I, I had a phase <laughs> kind of in high school where I was a huge shoegaze fan, you know, My Bloody Valentine and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's still like really special music for me. But I, I very, rock is definitely one of the, my least listened to, at least in the past five or six years or so joey how do you feel about the digital underground what's that <laughs> oh oh that's a that's a uh that's a hip-hop joint out of uh they were west coast um uh shock g aka um humpty hump 
and uh, and that's where that's where uh, Tupac Shakur got his got his start. Uh, okay, that sounds familiar. I, I'm actually not a huge Tupac guy personally. I guess I, I don't buy into the whole West Coast versus East Coast thing, but probably most of what I listen to is more East Coast. Gotcha, gotcha. They're, yeah, they're worth my checking top, out. They're like, really, my really top fun. three hip hop groups of all time are like Tribe Called Quest, MF Doom, and uh, De La Soul. Like my top three, probably. Oh, nice, nice, nice. So since we have all four of us here, I'd like real quickly just to go around and have everybody kind of give their favorite Tull album and give the reasoning behind it. I'm curious if we have any overlap here. Nick? Oh, okay. Omen, Omen has volunteered me. I'm going to say Benefit. Um, it's mm. it's an impossible task to, to choose a favorite Tull album. I've got at least five. But Benefit is... It was the one that I listened to the most in my formative years. I think it was the first one that I got that wasn't, like, taken from my dad from his albums or his, his cassettes. So it was, like, my first Tull album. Um, it is... It's definitely the black sheep of, of Tull. Like, it's this weird... Yeah. It doesn't fit anywhere. It doesn't It doesn't even act as a very good transition between uh, stand-up and, and Aqualung. It's mm. super, super... Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, Eugene. It, it, it veers around. It do, feels like it should come probably after Aqualung, maybe, if we're lucky. Hmm. It doesn't make any sense. And it's also the one that, that Omen and I bonded on the yes. most. It's the one that we listen to over and over and over in either one of our cars. I think I probably made him a copy on a cassette that we listened to. I had the yeah. cassette and we, we just listened to it over and over and that's where we got into Tull together as well. So yeah, that that one is, is the most important to me and if I had to take one to a desert island, it, it would be benefit. I'm, I'm constantly hearing new things. I'm constantly experiencing new emotions when I listen to that album still. There's so many new things you can hear on that because it's so layered and kind mm. of chaotic, kind of jammy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I absolutely love Benefit. It's a brilliant yeah. album. Yeah, we called it a Dark Horse album on our episode, and I, I think that fits it pretty well. Okay, yeah, you it did. definitely I is. called it Tell's Only Psychedelic <laughs> album. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you can't beat a you can't beat a dark horse. Um, I have a, a really <laughs> soft spot for that album. As Nick said, it was you know we experienced it at a very influential time for us. And uh, Nick, you totally did uh, burn me a cassette tape of it that I played in my mom's 1991 Toyota Corolla. And uh, you know the warbling of the the kind of psychedelic aspect of it was mm -hmm. enhanced by me wearing the tape out to the point that some of the tracks would warble because of the tape itself. Yeah. And so it's such a specific sound that whenever I hear it, I can you know I can I can smell the summertime in upstate New York. But mm. for me, favorite albums, uh, I would I Songs from the Wood really, really resonates with me. It's really something that it just when I heard that, I felt like it was I grew up in the woods, literally. You know, I, I grew up in a cabin in the woods that my dad built and I didn't have access to a lot of media for for most of my young age. I always joke that I spent most of my time whittling sticks, but it's not really a joke. Um, Nick, Nick knows. What I'm Nick, Nick can attest to this. He's seen my. I've seen. seen I've, I've seen the sticks. Yeah, <laughs> you have some of them. I've whittled you a stick. Um, so, songs from the wood really appeals to me on that level because it really speaks to my my really early formative existence. But mm -hmm. that being said, I, I just love Catfish Rising. I know it's a kind of a weird uh, choice, but there's something about the the quality of it that I just adore. 
Yeah. Fall in bed and kick your shoes away. <laughs> yeah, I lo- oh my god, I love that song. I love Rocks on the Road. Eugene, what about your favorite album? Um, my permission slip from the asylum must be somewhere somewhere around oh, uh, my favorite album is a passion play. Oh, passion. oh um, no, that's great. Yes, no, and, dude, no shame and, in a passion play. And one, uh, well, one of the reasons is because I do like really complex stuff, and mm-hmm. I've I've loved the passion play from from the moment I heard it first when I was a teenager. So it's not it. It wasn't an acquired taste. It was something I was absolutely into. And when I first yeah. heard "Thick as a Brick" and the Passion Play, I thought, "Yes, uh, album length <laughs> songs. Th- that's what. It, that's where it's at." But wow. another reason I like a Passion Play over "Thick as a Brick," for example, is it's kind of surprising because quite recently I came across a review. Someone did a write up on a Passion Play. I think they posted it on on the t- Facebook tall page or something, and they. Qu- quoted someone uh, a critic from the 70s probably and they agreed with uh, with that critic that that album they expressed a notion that the album was devoid of emotion and it's sort of how it's the opposite of what i think about when when i think think of a passion play it's such an incredibly emotional album album for me it and has it passion does, in the title it, <laughs> yes exactly and it does things to me it when i when i listen to that album through from the beginning to end i'm left kind of wrung out completely it's it's <laughs> it's a cathartic experience and i think when i, I sometimes I, I sometimes cry when i listen to it so you know it's I think when yeah. people say I don't like Tull or I don't like this Tull album, what they mean is I am devoid of the emotional complexity which would allow me to enjoy this it album. It takes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on the hair who lost to spectacles? In, could, could you take I, it or I, leave it? I might, it might be controversial here that I, I, I would be more than happy to just pluck that out and, and put it somewhere yeah. else. Maybe at the no, end I, of the I, album. I, I, I can't think of a passion play without the hair. I know, I because know. It, yeah, we it, both it, like it. it. It gives such a such a brilliant counterpoint. It gives a moment yes. of respite, you know, among the the incredibly passionate, incredibly. What's the adjective that goes with turmoil? It's that um, <laughs> tumultuous. tumultuous, tumultuous. Thank you. Uh, moments uh, in, in that story, and to have that completely absurd, completely ridiculous. Uh, yeah. radio play yes. about silly animals that, that absurd Monty Python-esque moment I, in, in in the middle yeah. it's it's the the perfect balance you know it's to, exactly to, it's, to what it's, that album is it's like if you had a roast duck for your first course and uh, and a suckling pig for your second course you need a grapefruit sorbet between yeah. them to cleanse the palate exactly. so you can appreciate them both otherwise it's just meat 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 but it's not <laughs> which, it's not a which is like my sorbet. Friday night it's like a grapefruit cotton candy you know, it's it's more absurd than a sorbet. <laughs> it's a sorbet that's, to me, it's, that's it's served one, upside down. Yeah, there you go. It's one of those things that just other bands would never have the balls to do something like that. Yeah. Mm. Like you just put this completely absurd nonsense thing in the middle of this otherwise very, you know, serious and philosophical album or whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of yeah. what I respect it all for. It's their uh, most my, Python moment, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Joey, what my about favorite your favorite album? Just, yeah, it's it's just kind of the flip side of uh, of Eugene's coin. Which, if I had to pick one, I would say "Thick as a Brick," 
And okay. I, I have yeah. kind of a childhood story associated with that album, which I've told a couple of times on our show, so I won't repeat it in detail here. But it, it kind of, I discovered that album at just kind of the perfect time in my adolescence, and it, it just kind of completely transformed my view of what music could be. And mm, uh, yeah. it's an album that I never, ever get tired of hearing. You know, when I hear it today, it still gives me the same goosebumps I did all the way back then. So that's the one that I would pick. Yeah, I think those are worthy choices, definitely. And I think they are choices of of true tall aficionados to to pick the two concept albums. Really, mm-hmm. it's they're they're just so good. They're so meaty. They're so good. And I know everybody has their own favorite. And every time anyone says, "Oh, this is my favorite," I'm like, "Oh, maybe that's my favorite too." <laughs> but it's it's. I mean, they're they're all just so good. They're all so darn that's, good. Yeah. That's one thing that uh, I'm glad you brought that up, up, Nick. That's the one thing that we try to remember, especially going song by song, because sometimes we encounter a song that one of us doesn't like or both of us mm-hmm. don't like, and it it and it would be tempting to uh, to slag it off or to point out its faults or it, uh, the faults that we perceive in it. But what we try to remind ourselves is what we try to remind ourselves of is that. Um, every single song, no matter if it's a random half put together bonus track or if it's you know uh, a famous radio hit that is someone's favorite song that is someone out there that is their favorite song and so we we try to approach each song with respect even if we don't particularly like it we know that someone out there that is a deeply meaningful song to them yeah yeah Yeah, and that's the thing with tall songs is and and tall in general is it's it's generally meaningful it's not just like oh that's an earworm i like that there's 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 something more there's something embedded in that for that person yes mm. very quickly before we go on um i'd i'd like to go around just kind of a lightning round and uh everybody give their most unpopular tall opinion the one that won't get you oh. flamed online forever mm. <laughs> i already I expressed know. my unpopular tall opinion on our podcast and it's and it's already out there it's um Songs from the Wood is too cheerful. <laughs> mm. Okay. Okay. It, it, just because of the progression of those those folk pieces, by the time we get to Stormwatch, it's all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I like Stormwatch most of the three folk sure. albums. And I like okay. Songs from the Wood the least of them. So. Mm. Wow. Okay. And not because it's musically bad; it's just the mood. I just don't connect with with, with all sure. the prancing around stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it was very prancy then. Yeah, I, I I think mine would be if I never hear Aqualung or Locomotive Breath again, I won't be upset. Yeah, I can. Hmm. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, we've we've heard yeah. them enough. That's true. Yeah, so maybe that's not that controversial, but <laughs> but I mean, it's they're they're the songs that that they play pretty much every every they play at least one of them every single concert you know ian sure. ian probably plays them in his sleep at this point but it's <laughs> i i i've heard them we've all heard it we've all heard it i guess mine would be that the um the inclusion of the of the 1980s synthesizer uh i find delightful <laughs> i think it's charming and i think it was appropriate it, it is and and i like the sound of it are we are we talking like electronic drum machine and everything, or just just the kind of the slow introduction and that, the electric violin and and all those pieces? That are whole sound, just, that, yeah. that the whole the whole sound of the early eighties, I just think is is delightful, and I and I love it. So yeah, I, know, I think charming I, is a 
a good word for it. Yeah. I, th- I know that some people find it kind of trashy or, or regrettable. I think it's, you know, uh, I think the worst thing I could say about it is that it's camp. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's great. So, I love it. So my unpopular opinion is fairly related. And it is that I genuinely love Under Wraps, the album. And we, uh, we're we doing our Under Wraps album soon, so I'll, I'll be a little tight-lipped on that. So I'm saving yeah. some stuff for our audience. But uh, that's the one that for sure gets me the weirdest looks online. Funny. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I'm not yeah. so familiar with Under Wraps, actually. I'm, I'm, obviously, we'll get to it eventually, probably in 2023. But um, well, maybe not that soon. But uh, I'm... Uh, I'm excited to that. That's one. That's one thing that's been fun about about this process is really discovering all of the little missing links and things that you know I wasn't super super into uh, previously. Yeah, yeah. For the record, Talk Tall to Me will be covering under wraps starting eight thirty twenty twenty two. So <laughs> just, <laughs> just under a year away. It's nice to it's nice yeah, to have a really it's nice, nice to have it's nice to know what you're going to be doing in a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, we know. I've got I've got the full list in any of our show notes. If you want to check out the the publishing list of uh, of, of Talk Tall to Me, it's there. Of course, it's going to change when Zealot Gene comes out, and Ian has yes. said that the final Steve Wilson remix of uh, Broadsword is going to have like twenty unreleased tracks. So that's going to stress stretch stuff out. But we'll uh, Feckless we'll, Mom is broadcasting we'll to you from there. the nursing home <laughs> forever. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah, so about the the 80s albums, we just recorded uh, our our episode for A, and we mm-hmm. both are not massive fans of it. We found things on it that we like. We found things of it on it that we don't like. Uh, yeah. So for you, I, I think probably if you happen to listen to it, you skip the discussion of four wheel drive, because I think you like <laughs> oh, that no, song. I'm curious. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> yeah, so love don't listen song. to what we have to say on it. Uh. <laughs> And uh, but then I think we'll we'll have two episodes where we'll, we'll both of us ultimately defend an album. Uh, oh, nice! Because nice. I I really love Broadsword. I I think I I I will it, I will find it difficult to find a song on it I don't like. It's and Joey really album. likes Under Wraps, so it's going to be a very interesting couple of episodes. Do now, Joey? Do you not like? Broadsword and Eugene, do you not like Under Wraps, or are you just kind of playing devil's advocate? Oh no, I—I I mean, my view on a Broadsword basically is like I don't think it's great. I think there's parts of it that are really boring, but I think yeah. there's other parts of it that I like just as much. So it's—it's it's kind of a you know I take what I like from it. That's kind of what I feel about. Yeah, it. yeah, it's 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 when Tull started to get a little kind of middle of the roady. I think, um, just in terms of their 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 trajectory, but I do like Broadsword so. <laughs> So we had an idea, um, since the four of us are here, we have, you know, four kind of super tall fans here. We wanted to do some tall trivia. So I guess this is where we need kind of like the the radio voice section beginning the tall trivia, that kind of thing. So <laughs> we, uh, we all wrote up a bunch of questions, all four of us ahead of time. And we're basically just going to see, <laughs> I guess, who the super tall fan among us is. <laughs> this is going to be embarrassing for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, so should we go kind of round robin? Yeah. Who wants right, to start? Who's the youngest? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm the Joey youngest. Is. I'd, I'd <laughs> be amazed Joey. if I wasn't. <laughs> All right, Joey, you, do you want the first question or do you want to give the first question? Give me the first question. I'll, I'll take it. 
All right. Uh, I guess I'll go first then. Go um, do it, Nick. Which album did Dee Palmer gain official billing as a member of the band? Songs from the Wood. Yes. Very good. Wow. She was credited nice. as providing orchestral arrangements nine times and then finally gained credit as a member uh, six times after that. Only two of them, but two of them were live. So technically mm-hmm. right. four four albums under her belt. Yeah. Pa- uh, Dee Palmer actually joined on the Too Old to Rock and Roll tour, but mm. wasn't an official member for a recording until Song from the Wood. Yeah. Nice. All right, Eugene, do you want to give Nick a question now? Yeah, I would. Uh, Nick, which one of Jethro Tell musicians teaches at Berkeley College of Music? Oh, my Whoa. gosh. I, I, is, is, it, is it Clive? No. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good one. Would you want to pass this, this question around? Do you have any hints? Can I get a hint? I, I imagine uh, it's y- got to be one of the keyboardists. No. No? Uh, that person is chair of bass. Oh. Well, not, um, we can rule chair. some of them out. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, is it Glenn? Can't be Glenn no. Kornick. I, a more recent I, one, probably. Yes, it's a recent bass player. I, I'm not up on the, the, mo- the more recent okay. staff. Yeah, um, yeah uh, if anyone else wants it, go for it. My I'm guess out. would be Jonathan Noyce. Untrue. Mm. Who is it? It's Steve Bailey. Oh, I don't oh, okay. even know yeah, who yeah. Steve Bailey is. So uh, yeah. <laughs> if yeah, if I went... wanted to be uh, if I wanted to be really crotchety, I could argue I could raise a, a little flag and say he's a session <laughs> musician, not a member. But I won't do he's that. He's credited on Roots to Branches. Come on. Or... Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. All right, Eugene. I've got a question for you. Yeah, that's okay. much too recent for me. Yeah. <clears throat> Ian and Shona's daughter, Gail, is married to what star of a popular American drama slash horror television series? Oh, I don't remember their name. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I'm going to know, pass. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to, to, to remember her husband's name. Do you know the series, though? I would have remembered her husband's name if I had <laughs> had seen the series, but no, it's 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 someone who plays in somewhere I hadn't seen. <laughs> Joey, you're looking for the name of the husband. Yeah, I would also accept the name of the series in which he uh, starred. Andrew Lincoln on The Walking Dead. Oh, very yeah, nice. nice. Well done. <laughs> a British actor plays an American, obviously, but uh, is right. is a Brit. Never watched it in my life, but I know that. Once you've seen one episode, you've seen them all. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's a lot of the same. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I guess I'm I'm the next victim. Uh, I'm the next okay, Joey, right? Yeah. <laughs> in in a passion play, what is the full name of the protagonist according to the record booklet? Liner notes. Oh God, a passion play. Uh, oh my God! All I'm thinking is Ray Lamas. <laughs> No, <laughs> that's so incorrect. Um, give me a give me a hint. What's it begin with? What's the letter? R. <laughs> Can is I it, buy a vowel? Is it, is it three names or is it just the the first and the surname? First it's name and last name. Okay, okay, yeah. What's the what's the uh, what's the first letter of the last name? P. <sighs> Think about it as a, as a 
as a Dante allegory. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, I I do not remember. <laughs> oh, whoa, Ron, is it Ron something? Close. Ron. Close. Ron, Ronald, Rup, Rup, Rupert. What's the second? D, what? P? P. 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 Purgatorio. Oh, 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 Pil- <laughs> Pilgrim. No, 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 no. Uh, um, Pellegrino. Uh, yes, I'm close, aren't I? You, you pretty much incredibly had it. close. Yeah. <laughs> Ron, per, Ron, Ron Pil, Ronald Pilgrim. What is it? Yeah, it shall, yeah, shall, shall we Pilgrim, give it to so him? It's, it's, yeah. Ronnie. It's Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie Pilgrim. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And that's basically it. You got the full names. Yeah, that's that's impressive. His Christian I, name, his yeah, on his birth certificate yeah. is Ronald Pilgrim, so it's okay. Gotcha. <laughs> you, you went from not knowing it at all to pretty much getting it. That's pretty. You impressive. got it. Yeah, yeah. I think Ray Lamas. You you said Ray Lamas. I, I believe Ray Lamas was the person Ronnie Pilgrim was was re- reincarnated into. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. I like it. All right. Next. Uh, next round. Uh, hmm. That's me to Joey. Um, let's see. What is the very unique type of synthesizer used in a 1979 blues track named after that instrument? 1970s blues track. Yeah. So this this must be a bonus track, I'm guessing. It is. And it's not John Evan playing the synthesizer. Oh, that's wicked, Nick. I know. Um... (laughs) The track was an untitled blues number on the 20 Years compilation album and a bonus track found on the Heavy Horses' Steve Wilson uh, re-release. Oh, um, so I'm I'm just going to name all the Heavy Horses' bonus tracks off the top of my head. So there's there's Botanic Man, there's Horse Hoeing Husbandry, Mm -hmm. Man of God, I think. Yeah. None of those sound like instrument names. No. I, I'm not a gearhead, so this is uh, a weak point for me. Yeah, this is a um, super deep cut. And the only re- reason we know about it is we just recorded the episode like a couple weeks yeah. ago. So <laughs> everything in our lives, Beltane. I think I'm. I think I'm going to pass. I don't know. All right, Eugene, you get a chance because Omen knows it. No, I, I don't. I, I, I forget. I, and I'm you not don't? up on my heavy horses bonus tracks. So. It is the Lyricon Blues. Lyricon. I, I completely forgot about that. I never yeah. got that. The Lyricon the is an incredible song. instrument that you should look up. Yeah. It's it is it is essentially what we, what did we joke? What did we say, Nick? It's the it's the, um, the the love child of the Mellotron and the Claghorn. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's super absurd. Yeah, it's basically it's it's an electric saxophone i guess basically i mean it's a it's, it's a synthesizer it's, played like a saxophone yes uh-huh. it is a, like it an is a wind maybe yeah it is a wind it is a wind powered wind operated uh uh synthesizer yeah oh fantastic yeah. it's also really, a really, really cool. cool song yeah all right next eugene eugene to me yeah yeah, okay. Uh, Jethro Tull is named after the inventor of the seed drill. But which other famous innovator did Ian write a song about? Ooh. Famous innovator. Famous yeah. innovator. What, what era yeah. of the mm, song? That's giving it away. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, Botanic Man was written about... Um, uh, 
a TV show host <laughs> who did like nature <laughs> documentaries. Um, That's true. It's an innovator. I, I can't think of anything. A hint would food. be there's a word which I deliberately did not use in this question. I said inventor and I said innovator. There's another word that would have given basically the song away. Engineer, creator, uh, March designer. the Mad Scientist? <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, another hint was I said Ian write a song about and not Jethro Tull had a song about. Oh, if it's an Ian solo, I'm I'm lost. I don't, okay. I don't know his solo work. I, I really like this question because it's got an answer that's a very popular qui- pub quiz answer, especially oh, really? in Britain. Yes, the answer is Isambard Kingdom Brunel. Oh my gosh. What's the song uh, called? The song is called The Engineer. And it's on oh. Homo Ereticus. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, and Isambard no, Kingdom Brunel, if you, if you don't really know that, the, that character, he was a, a mad 19th century British engineer who built bridges, tunnels, who created a flat pack hospital for Florence Nightingale. And uh, hmm. he, he, the, the, that person had an amazing life, and I urge you to look it up. <laughs> All right, Eugene, yeah, I've, got one. Cool. I've got one for you. Mm-hmm. Which is the only track off of Tull's 1999 album, jtull.com, to feature a female vocalist? Mm. Um, I hear it in my head. Let me just... I think it's .com. You are correct. Yeah, well done. Yeah, nice. that is uh, that features, and it's you know rare within the Tull... Mm-hmm. Uh, discography to have a female vocalist, but um, that song features Najma Akhtar, who is mm-hmm. a British-born uh, singer of Indian descent, who who did a lot of work taking traditional Indian singing and, and uh, bringing it into a modern context. I think it sounds mm-hmm. the tits. <sighs> it absolutely does. Yeah, I, I immediately heard uh, the melody in my head. I just had to pin it down to which song that was. Yeah, well done. What's the other one? Can anyone think of the other song that has a female vocalist? It's early. Too old to rock and roll does. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's uh, the the song Too Old or Off of Too Old? Yeah, the, the title track. Okay, yeah. The one I'm thinking of is Maddie Pryor off of Salamander's Ragtime, which is also Too Old era. Right. right. Yeah. Which also, is, like, a, it's uh, probably... Stitch in Time off Stormwatch has Oh, that's true. That's oh, true. Yeah. yeah. Stitch good in Time. call, Joey. Wow. I love that song. Very good one. All right, I am the victim now. Yep, so this is um, a match the lyric to the song. So I'm going to read a lyric, and then you tell me the title of the song it's from. And I made sure to pick all of my lyrics I have here. I picked very weird ones on purpose. (laughs) So the lyric is, be sure to leave your underpants with someone you can trust. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, Someone you can trust. Uh, it's, It's next to... It's next to my God. Um, it's off of Aqualung, isn't it? Uh, oh man, am I am I totally off, Nick? N- you're not later. totally off. A little bit it's later. It's a it's a it's a bonus track from the Aqualung era. Right, right, right. Um, oh, two fingers clean. You lick your fingers clean. Yeah, lick your fingers. Yeah, clean. It's, yeah. It's Some, two sometimes two called fingers, two fingers. It's two fingers on Stormwatch. It's lick your fingers on War, on on War Child. Child or on on War Child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Lovely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good call. 
Um, me to Joey, right? Mm. Yep. Mm. Okay, which absurd and amazing name did Ian Anderson not make up when bantering about the band to audiences? You know how he names all of his, his band members and he gives them all kind of like derivations and bastardizations about their names? Uh-huh. This one, this one is is legitimate. When he announces this this player, it is it is their name. Uh, so as in like it's their legal name. It's their actual name. Yeah, it's their full name. So I mean, I immediately think of Jeffrey Hammond Hammond, but I figure it's not that because that's not his actual legal name. Exactly. Yeah, both of his parents had the surname Hammond, mm-hmm. and when Ian found that out, he started calling him Jeffrey Hammond Hammond. Uh, it's not Martin Lancelot Barr, is it? Lancelot That's is it? his actual name. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Barrymore Barlow is just Barry Barlow. Ian right. tacked on the more. And, uh, of course, John Glasscock, he affectionately referred to as Brittle Dick. Yeah. You could always see him coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> All right, Eugene, right, this one oh, I'm yeah, going to yeah, get. I'm going to okay. get it. The credits of orchestral musicians on Divinities mention Nina Gresson on cello, Randy Wiggs on harp, Sid Gander on French horn, and Dan Redding on trumpet. Who are these people? Oh my goodness. I, I haven't the slightest. I, I'm not familiar with that album. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Ian's solo instrumental album mm-hmm. that I believe he did for, like, for charity or something. Um, are those all, like, acronyms of, of actual, uh, actual band members? Very close. Or, uh, just you acronyms very of, close. of D. Palmer? Is it, is it D's name just mixed up every single time? Uh, Divinities was recorded in, I think, 1990. Four, five, three. Yeah. So Dee Palmer did not play with with, with Jet Rotel at that point. Another keyboards player did. I don't, I don't know. I don't know the 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 staff of that in that era. I don't. I don't know much oh, but later. You 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 came incredibly close to uh, <sighs> noticing that oh, these Andy names. Oh, Andy Giddings. Yes. Is, there it is. <laughs> Wait, what these are names uh, made up, made completely made up from letters in the name Andrew Giddings. And these people do not oh. exist. Wow, that's fun. So, so I who played those instruments then? Uh, it's all it's all just sampling on um, oh, done by wow. Andrew Giddings. There are a couple real instruments credited to two real people. Okay, and this was a this was a solo album, right? This wasn't technically, mm-hmm. or did it come out? At, oh, it is. It is an Ian. Okay, yeah. All right, um, wow. Eugene, I have, I have one for you. This is actually a reverse trivia, so I'm going to give you the answer. Okay. <clears throat> and you okay. tell me. So I'm going to give you a name, and you tell me who this person is. The name is Colonel Kerry Coleman. It's Colonel Kerry Coleman. Coleman. Uh, um, is, it, is it the mascot of Ian's fish and chip shop, uh, fish and chip <laughs> shop based uh, of his salmon farm? That's an amazing answer. That is incorrect, but I love it. No, this is a real uh, person. A real person. Colonel Kerry Coleman. No, this I do not know. Stuff. I have a guess. Go for it. What is it? My guess is that it's the hard-headed English general. Mm. No, no. No, again, this is, a, this is a real person who's still alive. And uh-huh. it's... Um, so, shall I tell you? 
Nick knows because we covered this recently. Yeah, I, I know the answer, yeah. Colonel Carrie Coleman is a NASA astronaut, a female NASA astronaut. Oh, who yeah. played the flute, who actually took Ian Anderson's ah. flute into outer space and played it um, in a duet with him of, of Beret uh, from the International Space Station in in 2011 in, in honor of the 50th anniversary of uh, Yuri Gagarin's flight. Yeah, you can see the video yeah, on fantastic. YouTube. It's, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah and when I've, I, I've seen that video. And she's very, it's funny because she says, I'm an amateur flautist. She has a band with other NASA um, astronauts and is an extremely proficient flautist. She's very good. Do they play some bass rock? I I would hope so. I don't know. She also took um, uh, a penny whistle from, she's had several famous uh, musicians' instruments in outer space. Took the penny whistle from the Chieftains, I believe. The Chieftains, that was it. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. Okay, Omen. In the yes. thick as a brick newspaper, what does the connect the dots puzzle draw? In other words, what would you see if you draw the connect the dots puzzle in the newspaper? It's just cruel, Joey. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've never, I've never seen uh, the thick as a brick album in the flesh, as it were. However, I do know that, that that's a good hint right there. Oh, is it in is the it flesh. a penis? Um, Close. Uh, I, I do know that rabbits are a theme which run throughout the album, uh, through, throughout the um, well, both the both the album and the artwork. So I, I'm going to guess that it's a that it's a rabbit. No, uh, is it a butt? It, it's a nude woman in the flesh. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. With I believe right. a duck yeah. lecherously like it's drooling. What, yeah, over what her. Fluffy the duck is looking at. There you go. <laughs> Something for the kids. That's nice. Yeah. And that 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 feels feels on par with the sense of humor at that time. Yeah. Well, why why, why, why are you saying at that time? I think I, that, fair enough, that right, hasn't yeah. changed. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> um, let's see, Joey. Who is credited with naming the Claghorn? Uh, Jeffrey Hammond. Correct. Oh, Jeffrey Hammond. Hammond. I'm yep. four for four. I'm on fire. Yeah. I'm. I made him way too easy. Apparently. Oh, no, you didn't get the Lyricon Blues. Yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll that's take right. that one away from you. <laughs> that and that one was worth 10 points, so really, you're in the that, hole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Eugene, I'm, I'm going to get this one. If it's about a solo okay. album, I'm not going to get it. Okay. The question <laughs> is, who came dangerously close to replacing Ian as frontman of Jethro Tull? Mick Abrahams. Replacing? No. Replacing. Oh, I thought it was Mick Abrahams too. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was the the the. No, but then it wouldn't be phrased the, like that because that that implies that at some point later, because they started, they both started out as the front men, so that implies that at a later date someone could have replaced him. What a fascinating alternate universe possibility. Is it Jimmy Page? Did Jimmy Page ever sing? No, probably not. Give us a hint. Uh, Nick is very close. Oh, Robert Plant? Yes. Ah, okay. Oh, that would have been... I mean... Yeah, wow. yeah. it's a story from the from the This Was booklet, I think, that uh, Robert Plant jammed with uh, tall musicians um, at the request of the producer. I, I don't remember whether it was wow. Terry Ellis specifically. Wow. And Ian was kind of flawed by his delivery on vocals and harmonica. Oh, so course. it was pre-flute sure. even. Wow, and yeah, he was he was a little at, at, at the time he was a little bit scared that you know uh, 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, this, Ro- he's Robert a, Wood. He's a singer. Over. Sh- yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's interesting. Then, but this isn't pre-Zeppelin, right? So this, but this is early Zeppelin, I imagine, like super it, early I, Zeppelin I imagine as well. It, it was pre, actually pre-Zeppelin. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, that's huh. that is an alternate universe. But there's also, isn't there a quote of Ian saying that that boy Zeppelin would be great? If, if if we had their musicians and my lyrics, yes, he did say <laughs> that. Yeah, there's, yeah. I, I forget what era that was, but it's boy, they they kind of intertwined and came dangerously close. Well, there's there's also the the story of um of Martin recording the big solo in um was it Aqualung or in Lord Aqualung Motorbreath? and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and and Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and Jimmy Page was looking in at the window and making pulling a bunch of faces, <laughs> cheering yeah. him on, yeah. And yeah. Martin's decision was either stop and say hi or finish mm-hmm. rocking out on this this solo. Sort of one of the most iconic solos in rock history, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Thank really goodness. Yeah. All right. Uh, Eugene, I've got one for you. Okay. This, is, this should be an easy one. Named after a plant sacred to the ancient druids, which of Anderson's feline companions inspired the song And the Mouse Police Never Sleeps? Or the plane sacred to ancient druids is the mistletoe. Was that the name of the cat? That is correct. I mean, there were other plants sacred to the ancient druids, but yes, that's it. Uh, That's the the one famous for being being such. Okay, yeah, I didn't didn't remember the names of the cats though. I just just got that out of 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 the plant. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's it's good that he. I mean, he named all of his other cats off of uh, after plants sacred to the druids. So he had oak. Um. Oh, really? uh, Dutchman's pipes and the the root that's shaped like a cock. <laughs> yeah, weird names for cats, but you know. Yeah, well, just screaming it across the lawn just to get the cats <laughs> to come in. <laughs> All right, Joey, one more for me. <laughs> okay, this is another match the lyric. This will be final question. The lyric is, "Don't forget to urinate." Oh, it's good advice. But um, I am, I'm not certain. I feel like that must be later than where we are because I feel like I would remember that. Yeah, it doesn't ring a bell for me. Yeah, I, I've, got, I've got no clue. Oh, do you have another lyric from the same song? Uh, I can try to think of one. The wrong stuff's loose in here. <laughs> that's, that's what my doctor keeps saying. Um, <laughs> Don't forget to urinate. Wrong stuff's loose in here. <laughs> you're just, you're reading my medical discharge papers, aren't you, Joey? That's not a tall lyric. Uh, no, I, I haven't got it. I'm sorry. What what album is it? Let me ask Eugene first. I'm curious oh, if yeah. Eugene knows this. No, I think it must be something off of Under Wraps. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's. I had right. a feeling you guys wouldn't be able to get it. It's uh, it's the song Apogee off Under Wraps. Oh, oh cool. wow. But that Apology. lyric has always stuck with me as one of the all-time weird toll lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> it's up there. Well, this has been delight. I've, I've never played a Jethro Tull trivia with anyone before. And I never will again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. <laughs> I'm sure we will, yeah. <laughs> I want to thank you guys so much for coming on. This was something that we've been kind of, you know, working towards and hoping to do for quite a long time, and I'm... Just really happy that both of our podcasts together, we were able to get together and kind of, you know, create something for the fan community, make connections like I was talking about earlier. That's that's all that we're kind of in this for, I think. So 
you know, going forward, we're really looking forward to what you guys do. And uh, we're really looking forward to kind of creating kind of a new path for the Tall Fan community together. This this episode, like um, like the Lyricon, is the the bastard child of two podcasts left together in a dark room. And I think I think the world is better for it. Sweet, sultry, hairy lovemaking has produced this. <laughs> well, thank you, guys. It has been a pleasure and a joy. It was great to talk to you. It's great to to mix minds. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Can't wait to to see where we both go, and maybe our paths will cross again. I I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you. Good, uh, good night. Good afternoon. And good morning. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck in your long, you know, years-long quest to finish the discography. I think we're gonna we're gonna hit the finish line a, a bit before you guys, but we'll both make it there. Awesome. Well, Thank I think you. that the real toll is the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of Ian inside of all of us. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Omen. Thank you, everybody who's listening, and we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye awesome. now. Thank, Thank you. you. Cheers. Thanks.